Hello, and welcome to It Came From New Jersey podcast. Um, if you don't already know, we talk about music from New Jersey, album by album. Um, I'm Pete. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Bob. What's up, Bob? Not much, Pete. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Um, and today we also have a special guest with us, um, longtime friend of both Bob and, I, and mine, um, Matt Molnar. Matt, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me for this record. Yo, uh, of course. Seemed like a natural fit. I'm excited for you to be on. I think we've talked about about like, I don't know, at least three or four definites that I'd love to have you come do. But this one is going to be fun because I'm going to be very honest. I don't know how you feel about this record. Yeah. So it would be cool. Pete, I'm assuming you also do not know how Matt feels about this record. I don't know. Okay. So before we do, it's always nice to introduce our guests. Um, for those of you who are uninitiated, Matt uh, is a central figure of the New Jersey hardcore scene, um, especially the 90s, but leading into the 2000s as well. Uh, he was he sang in the band Uprise, played guitar in the band Dead Nation, uh, was involved in a lot of other stuff, including booking a lot of shows, uh, starting at a really young age, which he maybe didn't know uh, was a real inspiring thing, especially to me. I started booking shows pretty young because I saw Matt do it. Um, and he was also like, how do I say that you were the leader of the MCYC without saying you were the leader of the MCYC? Well, I guess uh, I, guess I kind of started it, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I came up with the name because I knew that like there was like, I, I think the OC crew or something, maybe people just said like OC straight edge or something. Uh-huh. And there was this point you know, in, uh, you know, maybe it was 1996 or something. And, um, where I just looked around and I was like, wow, we have this really big posse of hardcore kids that we all go to the shows together. Um, whatever. And we're all straight edge, you know, and we, you know, I mean, I was really evangelical about straight edge and hardcore. So I was literally trying to get as many kids into straight edge that I was friends with. So I would, I would have a lot of friends into this stuff, you know? And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so one day I was like, wow, when I'm like, this is so cool. There's so many of us. And then I realized that, like, I had most of us that don't live exactly in Marks County, which most of us did, like 75, yeah. 80% of us. Oh, not, right. Everyone lived, like, right around it. So I was like, yeah. and, you know, and then it stuck, you know. It took, like, yeah. a few weeks. Some people were like, that's a little cheesy. And then, like, you know, next thing you know, where other people made, like, Mars County Youth Crew hoodies for us and stuff. And they're just yeah (laughs) so so all that is to say and and that's a pretty kind of um small sampling of your musical endeavors you've been involved with a lot since you've been in new york yeah um so um thank you for coming on and talking about a record that i think is at least sort of special to me and pete i also don't know how you feel about this record totally either so um, why don't we just jump into it from here? Pete, what record are we doing today? We're talking about the Lifetime record, Hello Bastards. So, came out in 1995. Um, they were a hardcore band, I think, more or less from the New Brunswick area. Um, and this was... I, I mean, this is, this is where I think it's going to be interesting to talk about because I know this record as being like, you know, a classic of the genre of the time, but I don't know if that's how it was perceived then when it came out. 
Um, yeah. but I guess that's something we'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to kind of get into it, um, for those who may not be familiar with lifetime or the genre lifetime was a hardcore kind of, you know, punk hardcore band from central Jersey, as Pete talked about, I believe they start in like 1990, 1990, 1991, right in there. Yeah. And this is their second proper full length, but the first full length was released on an Italian label. And, um, well, you know, given the background of the record is funny, but this this record is a cosmic shift for the band. I think it's safe to say that. For and sure. Things change, and uh, they had been hinted at on an EP before this. But before this, their sound was, was kind of different. Um, I want to know, Pete, let's start with you, then do Matt, and then do me. What was your first personal experience with this record? So I got into it in a funny way. Um, there used to be a record shop in Red Bank called Black Cat Records um, that opened, I think, when I was maybe a freshman in high school. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but it was actually owned by Ari, who's the singer of Lifetime, um, Ari Katz. So um, I remember going in there. I was looking for, you know, punk and hardcore CDs and they had all that stuff. Um, before that, the only place I could find anything was curmudgeon or vintage vinyl, um, other record stores that were a little bit further North. Um, but this one, you know, opened basically right in my town. So it was really exciting. I got to know Ari pretty well. I was just kind of, you know, the younger kid that was hanging out in the store all the time. And then, you know, there came a point where I would just be talking to friends of mine, you know, punk, kids and they would be like you know that ari was the singer of lifetime right and i didn't i had no idea who lifetime was i didn't know like what they sounded like i didn't know anything about it so i was like oh that's interesting maybe i should check them out and uh i remember i found hello bastards at a different record store because i didn't want to buy it from him (laughs) yep um and then ended up you know it was right in my lane. I listened to it a lot. Um, it's been, you know, something that I go back to every once in a while since then. So, um, I'm a fan of the band, but you know, kind of got into them in this weird roundabout funny way. Matt, how about you? Yeah. Um, well I bought it when I was probably about one or two weeks before it actually came out officially. Um, I was a big fan of the seven inch right before this, um, tinnitus. So I was like, you know, tinnitus coming out after the other stuff was like already a pretty big revelation, you know? Um, yeah, we should talk about that more. Yeah. Um, definitely. And, uh, so I went to let it rock on a school day, which was weird. I, you know, I mean, it was hard to convince older people, you know, he usually already had part-time jobs and stuff like other, my older hardcore friends, but someone drove me, um, I think it was actually Greg from Uprise and, uh, we went to, uh, let it rock and yeah, it wasn't, wasn't officially out yet. And then I guess that day or the day before, um, one of the guys from lifetime, I think it was Ari actually, cause he was dropping off stuff from glue records, his record label to let it rock in Montclair, New Jersey. And he brought copies of the vinyl and I'm guessing the CD too. I'm pretty sure it was a CD. Um, and yeah, so I bought it and was so psyched, um, you know, 
and uh, I think we listened to it on the way back. So I'm pretty sure the person I bought it with got it on CD, and then we listened to it on the way back. And I because rem- I'm pretty sure that was that. I remember the first time I think I heard it was on CD because then it was, um, you could see how long it was when you put it in the disc player, and we're like, <laughs> right. whoa, 22 minutes or whatever it was. Like, holy crap, you know? Because I don't think on the vinyl it says. You know, I have the in the other room, but uh, you know, I don't think it says the length of the songs on the back cover or anything. Right. Uh, so we're just like, whoa, this is gonna be like a good record. You know what I mean? Um, and it had the Husker Du cover on it, so you know what I mean. And I was really into that era of Husker Du, like Metal Circus, which is off of and Zen Arcade and stuff. So already, I'm like pretty. I'm like, I had a really good feeling, and then, you know. Yeah, so we were driving back, and that's when I heard it the first time, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just, like, really maybe two records, three max, you know, especially if we're calling, like, full-length albums from this era, from, like, my whole youth into, like, hardcore, the straight-edge hardcore type of scene and stuff. Yeah. You know, we're really talking, like, two records ever, full albums that that had this kind of impact on me when, when they were brand new, you know? Um and then that was it from there. That was like, whoa. And, you know, uh, a lot of my hardcore straight edge friends are kind of skeptical about them because no one really liked background, like the first album or the, you know, right. it, it was just, it, I think every, that scene was just like a little bit, uh, a few years older than us. So we didn't see them in that era. We weren't going to the, like the new age shows in 91. So most of my friends, we were worn into it. So it was kind of like, I had to try to convince kids to go out and buy it. Like my friends, you know? And it kind of just started off like one by one that uh, everyone was like getting it and then getting into it, you know. But yeah, I I think it's like a fascinating record for exactly what you're saying. Um, I actually I, I got into it a few years after you, probably right around the same time as you, Pete, mm-hmm. because. Black Hat had opened. I feel like Black Hat Records and, and Red Bank opens 98 or 99. I can't remember exactly when. Yeah, it was right around there. Yeah, and um, and I knew who Lifetime was. I had heard of them, but I had missed them because they break up at the, you know, in 96, I believe. Maybe maybe sometime in the 97. But yeah, I think 97. Yeah, right. The last shows, but they had been functionally, they didn't, they weren't, kind of it wasn't like you were they were playing all the time like it wasn't like they were super active right before they broke up they just yeah no that's true it was like five months they didn't do anything then they play the last show and and it was big so um i remember being like aware that they were a band and aware that they had played their last show and that i wasn't there but i wasn't super familiar with them and i had i had one friend who had the record that came out after this uh jersey's best dancers and i liked it but then, you know, it, it didn't, I didn't own it. Like certain records, you know, you hear it and you're like, oh, this is neat. Let me hear this. Um, and so then I knew Ari was the guy from Lifetime. And we should kind of reveal. I think Pete and I both have extremely warm memories of, of Ari and, and Black Cat. And it was like a formative spot for both of us when we were young. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, so we will also try not to be biased, but but there's probably some bias. Um but I also bought Hello Bastards. I think I bought it at Soundwaves and Manasquan because I was like, well, I, I, I'll feel weird buying the record from the dude, you know, <laughs> um, which is a funny thing to think about now in hindsight. I'm sure he would have 
as a small business owner, very much appreciated me just buying the record from him and <laughs> getting over my dumb ass. Uh, but, <laughs> but that said, um, yeah, it, it actually wasn't the first Lifetime record I had heard. I believe I got this and liked it and then went backwards and heard the 7-inch, their first 7-inch that came out on New Age and then heard background after that. And remember just being like, this is the same band? Wow. So um, so with that said, let's, let's kind of dive head first. We normally don't do this much lead-in, but I think it was important on this record. Um, this is a band who essentially has two eras, in my opinion. And Matt, Pete, you guys can kind of tell me if you agree. Oh, totally but, agree. But it's basically... Everything up to the Tinnitus 7-inch. The Tinnitus 7-inch is almost this weird turning point. It might be the end of that era. Um, I feel like you can see it either way. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. I actually, I I love that record. It's a four-song EP that Lifetime did that just, it's the midway point between what they were doing previously, which we should explain, uh, and then what they end up doing, which we're going to get into pretty deeply here. Yeah. Lifetime was strictly an early 90s mid-tempo hardcore band before this with some more melodic leanings. But overall, if I had to use a word to describe their tempo, it would have been plodding. And I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just that it almost sounded like they were stuck in mud. And there were times when they would start playing a little faster, but they never got to fast. Is that? Do you guys feel like that's accurate? Totally. Yeah. They, I think they had like a verbal assault fixation at that point. And, uh, Oh, that's an interesting, yeah, I can see that totally. Yeah. And I, and I, but I think they, you know, we're still trying to find their own identity with that, you know, how to be melodic and kind of not, not fast, but still be aggressive or upbeat. But obviously that fast is what, uh, kind of made them special when they changed their sound. Yeah. 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 And so with tinnitus, um, they start, they pick up the pace and that continues right into Hello Bastards. And like you said, um, this is a 23 minute record, 12 songs, 23 minutes. So uh, for the, for the longtime listeners of It Came From New Jersey, this might be the first record where we don't say it's too long. Pete, would you agree? This record is not too long. <laughs> I think it's the first time I'm going to say, yes, this record is not too long. <laughs> yeah, at 23 minutes, it hits our exact meter. Yeah. Um, I think about what it was like, and, and this is where, where, Matt, we want your opinion and yeah. your story to come in really hard. The transition, because you mentioned you, you like the Tonight of 7-inch, so you already were like, ooh, I like where this is going. Yeah. But then you get Hello Bastards. Mm-hmm. So talk about that a little more, if you don't mind expanding. Like, this record was, as you said, a revelation. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Tinnitus was already like, I mean, to me, my, my take of it at the time, like, Tinnitus was like start of a new thing, you know? Um, yes. I think that's kind of like the, the, the first record of this band, Lifetime Chapter 2, um, because I think it sounds way more like, what what hello bastards is uh it's just hello bastards has everything going for it you know where tinnitus is just fig you know just they just got the formula they got the that kind of sound begun um yeah but yeah i mean i think with hello bastards uh 
you know, um, it was, it was, it was definitely like, look, I mean, this came out in September 95. So like youth crew revival hadn't happened yet. Like no one was really playing fast music and hardcore. It was very, it was really still a really insignificant number of bands. Uh, and, and especially like what you call, I hate to use this phrase now, but national acts, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like in terms of bands on the national scene, um, really no one was using like actual fast beats you know uh, and the few that were were still really new to being buzzy like a cornerstone or something you know where four punch demos not out yet <laughs> you know nope. what i mean no it's this is it, it was a crazy time you know i mean i think uh you know i might have had the fast break demo i had like cornerstone cornerstone was you know only a handful of months old beating the masses or whatever um but, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, mouth, Mouthpiece sounded old school, but they weren't necessarily fast. Like, I didn't think of Mouthpiece as being a fast band. I just no, thought, no. this band sounds like Chain of Strength and, and, and a little bit like Turning Point. And it, has that, and it has that energy kind of around it. And so, yeah, sort of to, to explain to the people who are maybe hearing this and not familiar with what we're talking about, hardcore always existed in this space between punk and metal, but it it mostly had the tempo of something more up tempo like punk and faster. But what happened on a, almost on an international level, to be very honest, is that starting in like 1989, 90, it started to lean to a much more straightforward mid tempo sound. Um, And there would be lots of variants of that. But the more the faster up tempo hardcore had been slid to the side or to the edges, and if you were looking for that, you were going to have to find it much closer to to punk or or crust roots and and the more the the bigger quote unquote hardcore stuff was all more either he- leaning towards metal or was not metal but was clearly leaning towards a mid-tempo stompy pace. So Hello Bastards comes out and, and they come out from a band who had been around through that entire period and they they kick the record off with a fast song. Um, and comparably to material that had come before it, it's, it almost is shocking. And and you note the surrounding bands of it, the, the, these other bands who... Shortly thereafter, there's this big wave of, of hardcore bands who do play faster. The big difference with Lifetime is that these are, are for the most part, dudes in their mid or late 20s who are pretty accomplished and are very excellent players. So they're highly competent. So their fast beats sound, uh, I mean, they just sound, right, exactly. Where when you get the 17-year-old who's playing in a fast punk hardcore band, that's almost exactly the energy you want. But that's sometimes going to be limited. Lifetime has a dude who really knows how to play the drums, and all the, the the rest of the support acts all know how to play. And they're like, "Oh, let's just speed it up. Let's go up a, a beat and a half." And it it makes a huge difference in their sound, and it also sets them apart from a lot of their peers. You know, I, I think it's still the reason they stand out from the crowd. Um, and this record and the one that follows really stand out from the crowd in a lot of ways, um, both in hardcore and, you know, the surrounding more poppier indie stuff that was going on at the time as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they were kind of starting to, at that point, they were kind of mostly playing with the melodic hardcore bands of like uh, Game Face from California, who I just wasn't a fan of, uh, Far Side, Avail, um, you know, in the pre, the lead up to Hello Bastards and the release of Hello Bastards. And they'd already been touring with like Bouncing Souls a bunch, but. Um, but yeah, and that, sort of, that sort of makes sense when you start thinking about them sonically. Is that <clears throat> so? Avail is a good comp, and uh, Bouncing Souls for sure as well. Bouncing Souls being a New Jersey band, um, Bouncing Souls never got blazing fast, but they were faster than a lot of the hardcore that was going on at the time, which is kind of funny to say. <laughs> yeah, I had to listen to them because it was like I don't love this band, but they were popular amongst my friends before they got like really popular. And yeah. I would want to listen to them because they were like, hey, it's a current band that actually is like <laughs> upbeat. You know, something about that thrash beat, um, you know, you might be surprised to hear me say it, but something about that thrash beat really got to me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and, and, you know, it's funny you mentioned Avail too. I had to look it up. I was wondering when Dixie came out, and that came out in 94. Yeah. And that's another band. They they strode the line of the, like, punk hardcore worlds definitely leaning more into the punk or, or, you know, at that point, maybe getting a little bit of the melodic hardcore, but, uh, but they had some faster stuff too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Lifetime, I think migrated to that. And then their sound does too. And I, I wonder what, how much was, um, sort of inspired by that, but because these are guys who are all steeped in eighties, hardcore and punk. And I mean, I, I, Pete, I think you know this as well. Like, Ari was a huge fan of 80s punk and hardcore, right. as was Dan, um, and as was, I'm sure, Wagon Shoots and all the other guys from the band. So it didn't, it wasn't like they were taking this like step into something unknown. It was like, hey, you remember fast music? Let's do that. Yeah. Um so so with that said, like what what makes this record stand out to you, Pete? Like, what is your general feeling on it? And and then if if you have something, what what makes it really stand out? I mean, it feels like it still feels urgent to me to this day. Like, it's so fast. It feels like they're pushing like as hard as they can, you know, on a lot of these tracks. Um, it also just feels like I don't know. There's 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 a lot of dynamics to the record. Like, it's only twenty three twenty three minutes, but you know, there's real, like, there are plotting tracks, you know, I think you mentioned that is reminiscent of the early material, but they kind of yeah. like crack the code on it in the way that they hadn't previous, previously. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I have a funny take on that, but I think you're, I, we're, we're on, we're, we're both looking at the same picture from different angles. Yeah. I mm. mean, and in terms of the pace too, I mean, I think, what's his name scott golly right the drummer uh-huh. I, I uh, dave wagon shoots i think right dave wagon shoots yeah that's the drummer is he yeah, yeah. are you are you guys sure i'll go check on wikipedia or something <laughs> i can, I yeah, can he's cut. the drummer he's the lifetime drummer who also was played drums in uh kid dynamite and oh okay i guess scott golly did play drums on that i'm really? thinking yeah because i always oh think of dave wagon shoots being the drummer so yeah, I wow. thought that I thought that Scott Golly played from Tinnitus on. That's so Whoa, weird. you're right. That's wild. Yeah, so I mean to me that was always the thing I where it's like that. where it's like, oh, oh they God. found they found the guy to play drums and like that kind of changed 
a lot of the dynamic, you know? Well, well, the part that's crazy, oh my God, you just blew my mind because Dave Wagonshoots then does the band that follows. So that's right. Okay. Um, Dave Wagonshoots does the band that follows Lifetime Kid Dynamite and right. it has a very similar style to the later Lifetime. Oh, for show. sure. Yep. Wow. Okay. I could have sworn that. Yeah, no, what one of the songs mind. one of the songs on Jersey's Best Dancers is like, hit hey, it's Scotty. Right. That's, yeah. Right. That's right. Damn. Incredible. So Scott, yeah, I mean, well, there we go. Makes a huge difference on these records. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm not I'm not on. I'm not editing that out, guys. You guys No, yeah. please don't. <laughs> no, shout out. Shout out to Scott Golly because you made a huge difference. So um you were saying that the record still feels really urgent to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it uh I don't know. It uh, it's one of those things where I it's like the Misfits episode we did. I'm so familiar with it that it's really <laughs> tough to separate myself. Um it doesn't feel it like when I say urgent, I guess it just it still has that energy. Like mm-hmm. like I listen to it and it it feels just as timely as anything else I'm listening to. So I don't Matt, know. Uh, you you excel at this actually, and I've gone to you for for different examples of this. What does Lifetime Hello Bastards musically? What are some comparisons you'd make to it? What are some things that you think it sounds like, or that you think people who are listening will hear these elements? Who is that for? You. Oh me. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, when I first heard it, what I would try to explain it to my friends, because, I mean, I'd like to preface this with, I believed this pretty much at the time, like I think instantly within the first few weeks of it coming out, and then, but definitely while it's a very current record, I per- and I still believe this, that it, they invented a new thing that had never, did, never been done before in music with this record, you know, and, you know, it was hard to describe to people. I remember trying to like break down the different elements and I remember using like, okay, it's a little bit like Gorilla Biscuits cause it's melodic and it's fast. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, I'm, I'm a big reference point for this record for me has always been, um, can I say by Dag Nasty? Because mm-hmm. it's melodic. Like, yo, the- no, you're right. There's some of the, some of the more moody elements of this record could certainly be, can I say esque like the B side of can I say? Yeah. And it's also like, um, it's a little bit like the way I can describe it is, okay, I'm a young teenager. haven't lived much life, but I'm moodier and more despondent and depressed than my friends, you know? <laughs> and, um, I hadn't lived anything. Right. And I, and I thought of it as lifetime at that time. To me, they were like grown ass men, like older than other people in other bands, even if they're a similar age, they just seemed like, very mature to me. And um, so I felt like their life experiences they're singing about directly in these lyrics or what I can make from the sort of gibberish in certain spots of the lyrics are things way beyond my scope of what I'd lived. But um, they emotionally made sense to me. Like I related to, and I felt like, can I say was that kind of a thing? Um, I hadn't lived all those experiences yet, or I hadn't gone through all of what they're singing about firsthand but I really related to the emotion. So I feel like it has a lot of that kind of, I think it has a lot of the same uh, emotional content just 10 years later, that kind of thing of uh, these introspective and intelligent lyrics. Um, 
another record it honestly always kind of reminded me of without sounding anything like, but again, something in its DNA, um, Descendants' I Don't Want to Grow Up. Okay, um, yeah. Because that record's really mature and really punk and juvenile at the same time. And it's yeah. almost like a song like No Fat Beaver, they have I Like You Okay, or, um, you know, some of the goofy songs on that, like they have their own little kind of in jokes or whatever, you know what I mean? There's um, a lot of, there's a lot, and there's a lot of interpersonal dynamic jokes and like yeah. kind of more silly off the cuff song titles that, that are, they're not meant for you to get necessarily. Exactly. exactly. And that matters. That like really matters on a record. It gives it a feel. It gives it like this different texture. Um, yeah. You said something super interesting. Cause I, I think you clued in on this. Pete, I think you'll agree too, but I posed this question earlier to Pete. Hmm. I think we all agree, broadly speaking, yes, this is a hardcore record. But is it also something else? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right? Like, yeah. I don't feel comfortable calling it a pop punk record because it's, it's not. not. It's not. I 100%. Like I hated pop punk at this time, and I mean, right? And I don't think like like you can count, call call Bouncing Souls records pop punk records, yeah. Um, but in the same way that there were people, you know, the 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 ancient New Jersey legend was that there were people who bought the Gorilla Biscuits record and called it Gorilla All Biscuits because they thought it just sounded like all, which eh, it doesn't. But it's more melodic than than a lot of the other Revelation Records material at the time. Yeah. So you can see somebody kind of uh, reducing it to that to kind of be talked down on it. But this record and and Lifetime in general, but this record is the start of of what I call like a post-pop punk thing Mm. where it's like this is – and I mean if you're familiar with the record label Run for Cover Records – they they've done this ad hoc like this is a lot of stuff that they've done there's mm. been there's been bands who've been like this since here since the hello bastards where they're taking elements of punk taking elements of hardcore taking melodic cues from pop punk but staying away from some of the more format like the structures mm. And what I think is one of the key elements, and this is such a weird thing to talk about, but it's the aesthetic. The aesthetic appeal and look feels closer to indie than Mm -hmm. any of the three. Than punk, than hardcore, than post-punk. Or not post-punk, pop-punk. And when you look at this Lifetime record, so what? it's a rip-off of a House Martins record. Am I correct about that? Yes. That's one of the first things that made me kind of like lose my shit because i was pretty i was very into them when this record came out and in that time period they would all they would like really become one of my favorite bands um and uh but i was very into the house martin so when i saw that i was like wait a minute i think that's like i think i'm crazy here i think this is a house martin's record cover <laughs> you know and, and it's, uh, if, if you're not familiar if you've never seen it's um it's a uh, london o hall four is that it was yep, that's it yeah um it's direct. <laughs> it's it's absolutely like one to one. This is what it is. They just they just changed the photos that were in there on the green, and they like they moved the kind of middle stripe with the information into right. a little bit of different spot in the frame. But it's but the same. Yeah, it's it's so similar. So 
I think this this record set the tone for so much um, that uh, that it really did start something new. Um, in addition, like they were on Jade Tree. Jade Tree had some other records that that mattered, but the Lifetime record was this weird bridge between the hardcore world and some of the more indie stuff that they were doing at the time. I'd like to and call it emo, but that's just me. Emo, you're right. You know what? That's they right. They weren't like an indie label. You know, that's emo music. Like indie rock kids don't listen to that stuff. You know, right? Well, and that's right. the the blurring that's happened um, in a post way. Yeah, is that this was emo at the time. I think that emo came to have a very different meaning ten years after this. You know. Yeah. And that that almost changes it, and it would be looked at more. But you're right. Okay, so then if we use that parlance, that the records have more of an emo look than than or and even indie. It's sparse. It's supposed to. It's yeah. more referential to things. Um. So, anyways, this record is not just important, but I think we're all saying it's pretty good. Um, I think it's a classic. You know, I think it's uh, you know, I think it's part of a, a canon of of underground music, you know? Yeah. I think it's odd because lifetime is a band who's come in waves and, um, there's been times where they, they not only got name checked, but cited as a primary reference for lots of bands and it's been kind of up and down, but in a way the actual quality and like how good this record is. And, and to me, Jersey's best answers as well. Um, gets lost in the sauce. Like people don't talk about the music enough as much as they talk about the sound. Um, this record is, is really cool. So why don't we jump into that? Pete yeah. is Pete. Is this your favorite lifetime record? I go back and forth between this and Jersey's best answers, but I think, I think this is my favorite ultimately. What makes it your favorite? Um, <laughs> It's concise, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things about a punk record. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I don't know. It's it's basically everything that I mentioned before. I mean, there's there's so much happening within those 23 minutes. Um, it's the kind of record that you just like, you know, I would have the CD and as soon as it ended, it would start again. And, you know, I, I found something new in it every time I listened to it. There's a timeless element to the lyrics themselves where like, you know, I think depending on where you are in life, you might get different things out of them. Um, oh, interesting and good point. Wow. Really, really well written. Um, I think Ari, you know, Ari always kind of transcended everyone else when it came to the the lyrics in a lot of ways. Um, it still sounds good. Again, the energy's there. I mean, I, I think you brought up a really good point with the aesthetic. I didn't really think about that as much, but it definitely just looks different. Um, you got a different vibe from, you know, lifetime album design than you did other bands. seems like they even like kind of dress differently. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what exactly it is that makes me like this more than, um, Jersey's Best Best Dancers. I feel like, I feel like Jersey's Best Dancers is like a more refined version of this in a way, but I like the, that this kind of has that like rougher edge to it. I, I think that, man, I struggle because I'm, I'm of two minds on this too. I actually, if you catch me on the wrong day, 
the reunion record they did in 2006, I am, I'm frequently impressed with that. And I think it's, it's interesting what they did evolutionary kind of like movement as a band. So like, I have a huge appreciation for that. That said, almost always I'm going back and forth between Hello Bastards and Jersey's Best Dancers. I think Jersey's Best Dancers is my personal favorite, but there's a charm to Hello Bastards. And it's just like, it's almost, you're kind of, you, I think you said this kind of Pete is that I think Jersey's Best Dancers, I, I said, it's the concentrate version. They figured it out. They got their hooks in what they wanted to do. Whereas with Hello Bastards, they're still kind of feeling around in the dark. And there's a couple tracks that, while I think they're awesome, there's a couple little tricks that I think that they would said, no, we don't, need, we don't need this extra 30 seconds of the song. Let's just drop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we don't need this extended uh, verse here. We need to just like, cut that whole part. We don't, we're good. Um, and Hello Bastards has those things. And let me just say, I'm not saying that as a detractor. I think that kind of, that feeling around in the dark songwriting stuff leads to some really cool moments where, as we'll see in a few minutes when we do the track by track, like I actually start going one way and then go, no, you can't, I can't get rid of this song. It flows into the net. It, it, there's such a cool flow on this record yeah. that I, I had a hard time uh, trying to chop much off of it. Because like, like you said, Matt, I think it's a total classic. Um, yeah. That said, is this your favorite Lifetime record? It truly is. Um, again, Jersey's Best Answers is really good. It is a refined, concentrated, like, you know, the the next step up from this record. The, the, the recording's better. The playing's tighter. Again, like as you said, you really notice about like song structures and stuff. Um What's really interesting about this record, too, is a lot of the things that in my mind, when I think of the songs in my head, that I think of as choruses, and yeah. I'm, I'm big into pop music a lot, um, a lot of things that would be a chorus only happen one time in the song. Yes, I know. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really funny thing. There's yeah. a couple tracks where I'm like, okay, they're going to do this chorus. Oh, oh, that's it. 50 seconds. All right, we're done. Yeah, but I think it kind of, that's one of the things I think works against the record just a little bit in terms of how I think my peers found this record when they got it because the songs are structured and formatted like an actual hardcore song would be. You know what I mean? Like there's even little breakdowns. They're like kind of like a little pop punk here, but they're almost like kind of the breakdowns on Start Today where they have these melodic songs and then the breakdowns weren't as heavy as they, they would have been on the first. Yeah, instead it replaces the heaviness with sort of like more of a bounce to it without. Yep, exactly. Without, yeah. Kind of like, yes. Yep. Um, but I, I think they sort of like, there's, there's other, these little filler moments and songs compared to how they would do it on Jersey's best dancer that are like, uh, you know, maybe intros or whatever else. And, you know, they could have had the song still be really condensed, but still have the, had that moment be a chorus. So, um, but they really format it like hardcore songs. And I think even the hardcore kids who could like it and like the stuff that I wasn't into, like game face or whatever. Yeah. It still kind of makes your brain go into like a little ping pong match. Cause you're like, is this hardcore? Is this like a melodic okay. other kind of music? <laughs> you know <laughs> right. what I mean? And, uh, um, you know, and they kind of figured out what to do under the best dancers and make the songs more punchy and effective. But, 
but there's something to me that's even more special about on this record, you know? So I have a question for both of you. Yes. Um, we, we've established the length on Hello Bastards is it's 21 minutes and 37 seconds. Wow. How long is Jersey's Best Dancers? Probably like four minutes longer, I'd say. 23 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Here's, <laughs> so right there, 23 minutes, 17 seconds. Now here's the real kicker that I'm hoping is a stumper. They're 2007. I said the 2006 previously. Excuse me. They're 2007 reunion record, self-titled. How long is that record? Just guess. Pete? 25 minutes. All right. Matt? Yeah, I would say close to 30 minutes. I'd say like 28 to 28 minutes. 21 minutes, 30 seconds. (laughs) Wow. So it's really interesting because I would have guessed that that was probably 25 to 28 minutes because they – they did some different stuff on the the 2007 record, um, tempo wise. They weren't. There was a couple songs that were truly just as fast as any of the, the the Hello Bastards or Jersey's Best Dancers material. But then there was a couple songs where they were they stretched it out more. Um, you can you can really feel their confidence on that record in a different way. I think you can feel the confidence on Jersey's best dancers a little more too. Like, Oh yeah. They realize, they realize hello, you know, and like, it's such a cool thing. And I hope people think about that when they hear records, you can almost, you can hear that stuff with artists, you know, so often. And it makes a difference in the sound. Hello bastards. Um, while, while really good, just, and, and you can tell they know like, Hey, we're onto something. It, doesn't have that self-assurance which is really funny but it also is appealing and charming so can i speak um, to that for one second bob please go i what's funny we say about the confidence because now that when you put in that light if you notice the difference between this record uh hello bastards and jersey's best dancers there is a lot of what we can can only call gibberish lyrics on this record um, <laughs> right and you know ari i mean i think they were doing my take on it at the time was because uh there's that band rem who mm-hmm. In the early days, like they wouldn't put lyrics in the and the lyric sheets in the records. Um, Michael Stipe would kind of change the lyrics sometimes at shows. Um, I mean, he did a lot. I think before they were even being documented in like live bootlegs or anything. But um, I always thought it was a little bit of like an REM kind of thing to it, where mm. you kind of become more sophisticated by not actually finishing your lyrics. Um, but uh, but I think on Jersey's best dancers, like again with the confidence, I think he has that sort of like you know, um, you, you know, they figured out what they're doing and he's like, Oh wow. You know, people are listening in a way they weren't. And yeah. actually I don't think there's like a really much gibberish on Jersey's best dancers. He, hmm. So we should talk about that a bit um, because yeah. it's one of the defining characteristics of lifetime is that the singer Ari, who we've talked about um, has one of the most unique voices in this whole world in, in of punk and hardcore music. And it doesn't, the early material, because of the tempo, he's more crooning and it's got more of a whine to it. And, you know, when I say that, I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just, that's a description of the sound. But when the tempo picks up, by this record, he can really sing, but it's a singing that's unlike almost anything that <laughs> before or after it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and keep the voice lessons for this record. 
Right. And, and if you ever see him live, he sings, he sings kind of in this really unique way, almost kind of out of the side of his mouth. And it's, it's, it's kind of impressive actually. Like I'd love to talk to him more about it. I think I have in a weird way at some point, but he, uh, when they start getting fast, his cadence and, and he sort of got a melodic voice. He's singing and it's like these sort of complicated, but at points simple melodies, but he also has a, he's deep too. So it gets, um, and it's choppy and the cadence kind of, you lose words. So I think that's kind of what you're speaking to, right, Matt? When you're saying there's like, there's garbled lyrics, gibberish lyrics, where it's like, we're not sure what he was saying. And there was no lyric sheet, which I agree, that could be kind of an homage. And I think that's worth asking. Well, there's lyric, there's a lyric sheet in the record, isn't there? Yeah. I think, I mean, the lyrics it, are there. I, I feel like, like I've seen his handwriting it, lyrics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's written in, it's written in by hand and it's like, kind of illegible a lot of the time <laughs> yeah. what's going on is the spots where there's there's spots in the lyric sheets where there's no lyrics and that's where he's doing i mean it's actual gibberish like he's not i'm not being uh oh you're not saying good. just you can't understand it no 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 like there's actual gibberish in there <laughs> yeah there's that's like amazing. unfinished lyrics are just sort of you know so that's kind of cool yeah so that you're right that that sounds seems like an homage um do you have friends who don't like Lifetime because of the vocals? Probably, yeah. I mean, it, it's been so long since it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember the vocals being divisive for sure. Yeah, I did at the time. But now looking back, and uh, nobody has mentioned that to me in so long because I think these records became so iconic and so important that people were like, hey, you, you, you don't understand the lyrics? That's okay. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, big thoughts on this record. Anything else that you guys want to touch on? I, I, let me ask this. Speaking broadly, and this isn't to, you know, just people we know from New Jersey, but let's speak more broadly. Do you think this record is overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I think it's underrated. Um, yeah. I, don't re- I don't really know what the read on it in 2020 is. I know that... I saw them maybe three years ago in uh, in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Bazaar, and I think it was a sold out show. Everyone was having a blast. They they sounded awesome. I mean, there's definitely still interest in the band, but I don't know how much they're talked about at this point. So that's my reason right. for staying underrated. Yeah, All right. I was at that show too. Um, I will also agree. I think underrated. I think uh, you know. I, Jersey's best dancers where where they really kind of figure out what they're doing like that's the record I think everyone kind of cites as the best because that's ultimately what everyone used as a blueprint to copy for the next seven eight years of like saves the day taking back Sunday um and, you know the list goes on of bands that really worship lifetime or even fallout boy or something it's like when they for sound sure. like lifetime they sound like Jersey's best dancers they don't sound like hello bastards you know Really good point. Um, I think this record is underrated uh, for the points you guys cited, and because we're we're saying this is like a stone cold classic. Let me also say, major kudos to Lifetime because when they went and wrote Jersey's Best Dancers, while it's clearly in the same energy and spirit and what they were doing with Hello Bastards, these are two really different records, 
and they yeah. sound like that and they feel really different and it can't be understated a band who was five six seven years into being a band writing a full length and then writing another one that don't that feel so decidedly unique in each other from each other is pretty impressive for sure definitely okay any other big thoughts before we go track for track on this bad boy yes um i just have one thing because you mentioned about their influence yeah and how it kind of came in waves and there'd be like a wave where there'd be a lot of people being like really mentioning like oh we're really influenced by lifetime or they're are they are they be you know it was a big they almost became like a cool band to name drop even if the band's were really really popular on like mtv2 and warp tour and stuff. absolutely and i found them to be in my music nerd brain i find them to be kind of an analogy to analogous with the, the new york dolls because there's you know a lot of good music that was influenced by them and you know anyone who's making the next wave of you know the first wave of punk music in 76 78 would cite them as an influence but um a lot of 80s hair metal bands who you, you can't really hear New York Dolls in them would always name drop them and people are like you're just hair metal like no no man we're trying to be like the New York Dolls like Poison <laughs> did that like That's a bunch of these bands did that and I always found that like and you know I mean for those who don't know I mean like New York Dolls have this kind of cool factor they have this just something about them that you know really makes them kind of irreplicable and just greater than the sum of their parts and you know when all these kind of you know, MTV two warp tour, you know, kind yeah, of the, the, the fueled by ramen scene. Yeah. Yeah. When all those bands would, would mention lifetime as an influence, you know, Pete Wentz of Fall Out boy, God bless them. Like, you know, put out the reunion record and took them on tour and kind of helped give them their due. I really kind of always felt that they had some sort of New York dolls thing where, you know, they're cool cachet and, you know, their influence and name dropping them was uh i don't know it just kind of always reminded me of it i'm like i feel i always call them like the new york dolls of my generation when i try to explain them <laughs> to people who you don't because indie I'm, people don't know them you know like and i'm with around a lot of indie people and young people who who know certain punk things and they know this or that but you know it, it's really kind of hard to frame the reference you know sure. I, I mean i think that's a great i've never thought of that i think it's a great way to put it because that New York Dolls thing, it was so much. I know what you're talking about. They they get name-checked by hair metal. Like, that's the f- way I first heard of the New York Dolls. Well before I ever checked them out, w- checked them out well before I was into punk, I had he- seen and heard their name because metal bands name-checked them, you know? Yes. Absolutely. I think on those, like, heavy metal uh, trading cards, there were yes, things where, yes. like, influences, and they would say, like, New York Dolls, which is really funny. But I think citing that, you're 100%. There's an intangible quality about Lifetime that made them influential to a whole world of music that really cared and, and appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> Not to monopolize this, so please bear with me. But oh. I also wanted to speak to something else you said about their kind of indiness. And, um, you know, what I kind of came to, and I think because I knew I was going to be talking about this, and... You're right. I mean, I, I think they had kind of like an indie rockness, and I don't think of it as an emo. Like, I almost kind of think of it as like, you know, a band like Soulside turning into Girls Against Boys, right? Or mm-hmm. um, different people 
in like late 80s bands then trying their hands at something more commercial or more you know with more range more emotional range than like a hardcore band would be right you know like I, I think you know what's what's really interesting about this record and you know what they were doing is they kind of bring this other um they, they kind of bring like like a you know an indie rock style band's kind of scope of influences and creative palette that you know, hardcore, a lot of bands. And that's what I loved about us 15 really just painting like one or two colors. And at the time you love it, but like, you know, when there's like fluorescent pink out there and there's all these other things, like you just, no one, you know, especially teenage boys like aren't really wanting to color in, you know, it's just, you know, I think that's something with, with uh, hello bastard is that they, they played a hardcore music, but they do it with, the kind of um, you know attention to detail and the musicality someone would be making an indie rock record with, you know, yeah, and, right, and, and a breadth of influences that was a little wider. Yeah, if you look, we're going to still use these primary colors, but you're going to catch a flourish of this here and that there, which which sets them apart, you know. Absolutely. For sure. All right, um, Pete, track by track. Yeah, let's lead, lead us through the track by track. Cool. So Danurism, first track. Um, usually we do, I guess, let me think about this. We usually do a keeper cut. Are either of you guys cutting any song on this record? No. Even my least favorite, I'm not calling you, I still think kind of needs to be there. I just think I would cut one minute of the song or 30 seconds of the song, but I wouldn't cut the whole song. Okay. All right. So I guess we're not. I I will get there on my moments where I'm. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to so, get into it, but just I'm asking because we don't even need to do a keeper cut if we're all keeping the tracks. I'm keeping them all. However, the last song, Ostracized, I'm only lukewarm about. It's okay. like on the line, but but I want to hear you guys. Maybe you guys can talk me off the ledge. Um, so, let's go so, it. so let's start with Danurism. Let me kick it off. I'll kick it off with this one. Um, Daniel is a great opener, especially on a record that we've established, like feels like a band who's turned the corner to a new chapter. Yeah. Um, high energy. The break in the song becomes kind of a signature, not just for lifetime, but for Dan Eamon bands going forward, which is kind of funny, oh, um, true. but it feels totally fresh for lifetime at this point And for this record, and it's like, whoa, like you, you immediately like this is what you want from an opening track on a punk <laughs> world record is a song that like you go whoa, and you're in for something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, that's, so, that's so interesting about the Dan Yemen template. I think that's actually so true, but I didn't think about that. I think it's great, super great opener, like high energy, but then breaks it down in this way. That's, um, you know, great breakdown. I don't know. It's awesome. I'm in. Yeah, same here. I mean, all the same things. I mean, the way it just barrels in with that bass intro with the distorted bass, it like it yeah. tells you right from the moment you put the needle on the vinyl or press play that this isn't, you know, this is like this is like got a lot of power to it, you know. And uh, I, the lyrics is always what did something for me because Lifetime were pretty notoriously edge breakers, or at least Ari was, and. Um, 
it to to have the lyrics right away just addressed to the like you know straight edge community it seems we better ourselves by becoming the single thing that we once despised and stood against we're not alone we're like the we're, no, we're like the rest we fall you know and um <laughs> it was like to him to really own up and at this point i would give any straight edge band like five seconds of my time five minutes of my time or whatever um and give them a chance. I love straight edge bands. I was so into being straight edge at this point. Um, like the peak of me being straight edge really, you know, um, in terms of how much I cared, how much I, I cared about listening to straight edge bands, all that crap, whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, to hear this song just basically being like, you know, just him kind of saying his piece on where he is with like, without straight edge, with, with, you know, not being straight edge anymore or something that speaks to that, but is also kind of more universal. I was just yeah. really like, I don't know. It, it really hit me in a certain way. And I was like, man, this is, you know, I respect this, you know? For sure. I mean, like, like we said here earlier too, I think Pete said it, Ari's sort of on a different level lyrically. And, and because of that, I don't think he gets name checked. I mean, I do hardcore podcasts and we did a whole episode about lyricists and I didn't bring up Ari. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Ari's as good, if not better, than any of the people I've mentioned. And it's not to say, there's a lot of great lyricists in this world who take this shit serious and really want to say something or have something to say. Ari was so artful with the way he said it. and Yeah. He was clever, but not in kind of an offhanded way. It was very, um, it was direct and thoughtful, but he could be playful in the same breath, which is... Uh, about as big a compliment as I can give to someone who writes lyrics like this, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so these are all keepers, but uh, uh, let's talk about Rodeo Clown. Is this the hit? Yes. One of. I think this is my the hit. It is one of the big songs on the record for sure. I, I love this song. If I had to keep one song off this record, I, I think it's this. So, so... When we get to your other candidates, Matt, yeah. throw them out there. Um, and I mean, you guys go in on this. I, I, I said a lot on the last one. Yeah, I feel like this is like a signature Lifetime song. I mean, if 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 anyone knows like five Lifetime songs, this is going to be one of them. You know, um, but in terms of the record, I feel like it's it it kind of it's still fast, but it brings it down a notch. Um, there's a little bit more dynamics in it. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of my favorite lifetime tracks. I mean, yeah, it's great. Matt, what do you yeah. got? I, I like it too. Again, I'll, I'll probably just be mentioning lyrics a lot. As I felt the lyrics were like very relatable, you know? Um, like, just the did you know that I kept that for a year? For it's sure. just like imagery. Like, I thought the imagery was great. And even if I hadn't, you know, <laughs> known a girl long enough that I would have kept something of hers for a year, still. <laughs> Writing for her, thinking of her, it was like that sentiment, like just hit me. You know what I mean? And uh, and uh, and, and and even just like the last time I saw you, I, I tried to pull to the crowd. I was calling your name. The band played too loud. I mean, God, you know, it's like even if I hadn't lived it, I could foresee myself having lived that. I don't know. It's just something. There's something in the emotions of this song, lyrically, and the way it's conveyed with the music that is just like. Yeah, it just gets to your heart, you know. Uh, There's a weird universal level where this song 
yeah it has an unrequited feeling um that plays so well with the music yeah absolutely very good point very good it, point. it is like the hit it is like it really is the hit one of the hits you know all right anchor so the only thing i can say is that it has the unfortunate job of coming after Danierism and Rodeo Crown. <laughs> right. Because yeah. I was listening and I was like, oh, there's a drop off. And then I was like, all right, all right, all right. Let me let me isolate and listen to this song by itself. And I'm like, oh no, this is this is a really good song. And I think it's an intentional pace setter. It's it's kind of like, okay, hold on. It's not all gonna be Danierism and Rodeo Clown. You know what I mean? Let's kinda like here we're going to smooth out the middle here you know um i I said that it was a little long but i like the length and i like the whispery part and here's where pete i i wanted to say i wrote this feels like a weird leftover the whispery part the end of the song the like last minute or so or last 40 seconds maybe yeah um that feels like a leftover from songwriting habits from before yeah, for sure. You know, like, hey, like this is what we were doing before. I think if this song, if Anchor is on Jersey's Best Dancers, they cut the last, the entire end section. It's just chopped. It's like, oh, yeah. we don't need that. Boop. You know, I, kind of uh, efficiency, if you will. I, yeah, I had the same exact thing in my notes. I feel like there there are pieces throughout this record that like are leftovers from not leftovers but you know like they have that feel of earlier records that- well and it's the bridge right and this right. is the connective tissue and it's like we get to sit here navel gaze about all this but it was so <laughs> fucking, it is so fucking cool yeah <laughs> to see that and to be able to look at it and pull it apart now and this is something if you like music or you like art looking at someone's art that they did one day and then the art they did the day after that and the art they did the day after that it's always fun to go huh what's the same and what changed yeah and that's sort of what we're seeing here you know yeah and for anchor you know i know you guys feel it to be similar to something that was like a holdover from their earlier songwriting practices and i never even thought of that um and what always kind of reminded me of was um you know, so at this same exact period of time, you know, myself and, and you know, for Bob and, and, and Pete, Dave Ackerman, we were really into Riot Girl bands. And mm-hmm. something I really liked about Riot Girls, there's a lot of like in-jokes and weird little moments in songs that were kind of nonsensical, but like it kind of uh, like made you feel like you were peering into their weird little world. So yeah. that moment in Anchor, I always thought reminded me of like Bratmobile um where they have these little off the cuff like the singer kind of seems to be ad-libbing but probably ad-libbed it and then just repeated the same thing you know um i just felt like it was like this little intimate thing where you're kind of peeking behind the curtains of somebody's psyche or just their little their little world and uh yeah so uh, no and i think you're right and you use the word and it's there's an intimacy with these sort of moments that make you feel closer to the band, even if you're literally standing on the outside, not knowing what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. And then it just all cascades at the end where it gets just like double time and like crazy fast. And there's all the like out of tune kind of pop punky backing vocals. And then the, like with the shouting and stuff. And it's, uh, you know, yeah, different. It's a different, I, I can't think of another part 
from this era of the Lifetime catalog that feels like that part of the song. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, let's go right into I'm Not Calling You. Yeah. Uh, let me start here because yeah. my notes were, eh, I'm cutting it. But I've seen this live go over really big, which is weird. And then I was like, it's a weird one on recording, but again, it's a change of space, a change of pace. I think it's totally important, and it also ties sonically to the earlier sound. The next song, I go, shit, for Bobby Truck Tricks. Great song, weird and moody, and it makes I'm Not Calling You feel more important in the flow. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my, my, my conundrum, and I went through it a couple times. I'm like, you can't. You can't cut I'm not calling you, even if I'm not like if I'm putting it together a mixtape, I'm not putting I'm not calling you on it. I, that'd have to be a pretty specific type of mixtape. Um but with Bobby Truck Tricks, like that is you need you, you don't need it, but you need it, if you know what I mean. You do because Anchor is really good. Like you have three killer songs right in a row. And Bobby Chuck Tricks, man, say it might be even better than those three songs. Great. So, so kind of having this little, I, I think of I'm not calling you as a palate cleanser, and like you know, friggin' as a young kid who couldn't even shave yet when this record came out, I don't think I really even thought of palate cleansers on records yet. I don't think I wanted palate cleansers on records, <laughs> and and I was really stubborn about what I felt a hardcore record should be and what I wanted. I wanted a lot of intensity, whatever. And I actually loved how I'm not calling you was this weird little vignette, you know. I loved how it was just the same lyrics over and over again. And I honestly, I was like, "Whoa, this sounds like they took something from their first records, right. like like a, a riff left over from the I almost called it the crappy period, but uh, the, <laughs> the the early period." And um, and then they made it into like this thing. It was almost like they had a riff lying around from then. And we're just kind of taking the piss on it. Like, oh, we're, we're, you know, I don't know. Like, we're better than this now, but whatever. Um, or it showed that their old ideas could still be cool if we're framed in the context of how they're making music on this, starting with this record, you know? I also, yeah. it's a weird question, uh, Pete, I want you to go in, but I, no, yeah. I wonder how aware the Lifetimes, aware slash interested in, these dudes were in the discord of the like late eighties into the early nineties. Um, which is to say, I am sure they all were aware <laughs> and fans of a lot of it, but there's something to songs that are pure repetition. Like I'm not calling you. Um, it's not drony, like it's not, but they're playing with repetition in a way that you didn't see their new age record peers do. Yeah. Um, and and I thought that was pretty notable. And and again, like in that indie mindset, like they're pulling in little elements here and there all over this record. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, Matt, what you said about taking a riff from the early albums is exactly what I thought of this. Like when I said before, they they kind of cracked the code on what they were going for earlier. This is one of the songs that I was thinking about. Um, I feel like if you lose a little bit of the melodics and the guitar um, and, you know, maybe even slow it down a little bit, like 
this could be on an earlier record. Um, but I feel like I always liked this song. Um, I always kind of saw it as like falling perfectly, you know, in the right place on the record. I feel like it, you know, gives the whole thing like it gives it that dynamic where like there's more than just the fast and the mid tempo. There's actually like kind of plotting parts to it and like meditative parts to it. Um, I always liked the lyrics too. I mean, I know that they're like simple and repetitive, but it was like always really relatable. Just like that, like that, like running it over in your mind. Like, do I call this person? Do I not call this person? What do I do? It's like, it's like such a teenage conundrum or like early twenties conundrum, you know? It's so um, relatable. It's very yeah. relatable. So uh, I don't know. I always felt it. I mean, it's just like, it's already having a pity party, but like we've all had pity parties. You know what I mean? So it's cool. And I, I think Ari's a good person to have a pity party with. I think he has in the tone of his voice and in a little bit of the angst in the lyrics, like there's little pity parties throughout their yeah. classic records, you know, like this and Jersey's Best Dancers, but he's a, he's kind of a master at it. He is. Yeah, truly. So I shared my my broad th- th- thoughts on Bobby Truck Tricks, uh, like su- sleeper hit on this record, um, and totally. and just like there's a few songs that I think are crucial to the overall tone of Hello Bastards, and this is one of them. Agreed. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I just. I love the outro. There are like moments on this record where Ari really pushes his vocals, I think to the limit. Yeah. And this is like one of those moments. And it, I, I think it's great. Yeah. Again, I have to speak to the lyrics, you know, like warm words and eyes, just some of the imagery and like, um, and my, my fellow MCYC or Paul Hanley of the Marsh County youth crew, um, <laughs> that out. nation shouts him out in some song lyrics. Uh, his senior quote in high school was uh, from this song, and it was, I don't even care because I'm already there. There you and, go. You know, I didn't even know what he meant by it when he put it as his quote. But, like, you know, when you hear it in the context of the song, it's so triumphant or it's so, I don't know. It just has this impact. And, you know, I, I think this song is really lyrically strong. And again, we keep saying, like, relatable. All right. Neutral so territories. Jim is neutral territory. Oh yeah. Um I don't know. I love this track. I guess other than just like talking about what I like about it, I feel like we covered Saves the Day in an episode not too long ago, and the lyrics in this song made me think like, is this just like a Saves the Day template? Like I feel like, you know, how how uh like angry Ari can be at certain points. I feel like Chris Connolly really took that and ran with it at certain points. Um, yeah, you, you suck. I hate your guts. Uh, I'll yeah. poke you in the eyes. Yeah, no, Chris exactly. Connolly had this. Yeah. That was, He's yeah, not- that's like his lyrical homage, like his entire milieu is is based on this template. It's kind of based on this, yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. I really like when this song gets fast because it feels so fast for some reason. Um, oh, like falling apart. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's wild. So, yeah, I don't know. Cool song. I feel like this one's the closest to like a pop punk song on the record. And by pop punk, I think it's kind of bouncing soulsy. Yep. Mm. But um, I love this one because I I really related to the lyrics as uh, being 
in my mind were kind of about the heart. They seem to be about the hardcore scene. And um, from the day that I, I, I kind of officially felt like I was part of the hardcore scene, I had access to grind everywhere with how the scene was, you know? Um, and I, I, you know, I did not like the metal core bands at all. I, I didn't like a lot of people's attitudes and people seemed to be like way too cool. And like, just like they were looking down at you all the time. And like, you know, it, it just felt like this kind of gym is neutral territory that like, when you spoke about the DC bands and stuff, um, that influence was going on in hardcore still of that sort of post Fugazi. Um, it just like a sort of kind of like intensity, you know? Yep. Um, and, and it was a bit in the emo bands and, and, and like a lot of the college age kids around the time, they just seem to have this sort of, um, you know, I don't even know what to call it. It was just, I keep thinking of intensity, but they were kind of like, people were just causing fights. Like people like, people at the shows would cause arguments with people in bands about what they were doing and how they did what they did. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, over weird things, some as prices of shirts, sometimes about specific song lyrics, sometimes about fans moshing at shows, just weird stuff. And, um, or people think confronting bands and saying their lyrics aren't political enough, whatever it was. And, um, you know, and then you had that kind of intensity. Then you had like this militant vegan straight edge intensity, and um, and I feel like with the the gym is neutral territory. It to me just really spoke to like elements of what was happening in the scene at the time. You know, no, for sure, for sure. I think it's um, it was a cool way to take the weird infighting stuff of of uh, you know niche music subgenre. Yeah. And uh, play it out in song. Um, I think this song is a soundtrack placement away from uh, Lifetime having a very different trajectory as a band. Uh, I don't totally need the last 30 seconds or so, but I think this is a, a really fun song and, and works really well on the record. Um, yeah. Pete, what do we got next? I like you okay. I like you okay, but you don't hear the words I say, so you got to go away. Go. <laughs> I'm in, dude. I mean, that's yeah. that's all I got to say. Great song. Love who it. It's left in the minute relate. long. Oh, what? I said, who can't relate? Yeah. I love it. It's less than a minute long. It's so fast. Um, it, it's really like a kind of like a seven seconds to crew kind of song. But, um, but, you know, but done with like lifetime, you know, um, and all the lyrics, like, you know, quit sitting on my chair, quit playing with your hair. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I could really kind of picture a version of who the girl this song might have been about, uh, you know. And, um, yeah, and I thought it was funny. It was, like, comical. It wasn't, like, a joke song, but it had a sense of humor to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh this is the proto kid dynamite song. Like this is Dan going, Oh, I can write, I can do a whole band with songs like this. Sick. Yeah. You know, um, that would be another interesting exercise is just going through these records and picking out like what he took for kid dynamite, you know? Oh yeah. I mean this song, there you go. Yeah, um, there you go. One more thing with this song too is, you know, we're like a little over halfway through the record at this point And like m- more than half the songs kind of have about like boy girl relationship kind of stuff. 
they, you know, they're in the, the boy girl realm. And when like you're a teenage hardcore kid, you don't want songs about girls and hardcore bands mostly. And then you get it from this record and you're like, Oh my God, I really want songs about girls. <laughs> and, and that's where the descendants comes in for me. And that's why it kind of reminded me of, I don't want to grow up because there are these kind of like real world, more adult, at least college age kind of like life experiences that I, I wasn't quite reaching, but I, I could still relate to, you know? Sure. All right. Um, we are on. It's not funny anymore. Yes. Husker do cover. So this is the exact way to do a cover on an album. Um, I think it's faithful, but still has their own flavor to it, mostly because of Ari's vocals. Uh, but it's just, it's not, it's not tagged on at the end. It's not in a cluster and it works in the flow of the record, but mm-hmm. it's unique enough that it, you're like, wait, Huh. And if you knew, if you know who's going do, you know, this song period. Like, um, and I, I, this was, I think this wasn't the first time I'd heard who's do, but, um, I love this version and I think it just blends and flows perfectly with the rest of the record. Yeah. yeah. No, it definitely does. I, I mean, I didn't know this was a who's do song when I first heard it. Um, I had heard new day rising because I have a funny uncle that was like, getting me into all that stuff um who interestingly enough has no interest in punk whatsoever but was a huge fan of new day rising um so i was familiar with that but this made me want to like go deeper on them because i was like oh lifetime are great and this song is great so i'm going to go deeper on husker do um but just what you said bob i mean like it fits right in the record it's it's a faithful cover but it's you know kind of doing its own thing i think it's good yeah, I like exactly what Bob said too. They like it's it's part of the track listing. It's not tacked on at the end, and you know when I got the record, that was one of the first things that like endeared me to it. Is like, whoa, they put a Husker Du cover on the record. <laughs> like I just thought, like, wow. Before I even heard it, I was like, I knew it, it made me like the record between the House Martins cover art and this. It was like. The references, you know, it just made me like this record without even heard, having heard it yet, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of speaks to like, hey, like this is kind of what we want to do. We want to be a hardcore band, but we also want to be artistic and melodic and weird, you know? And that's what Husker did. And I think they were kind of, you know, kind of making a statement with that. Or also too, like I think Dan or one of them told me, a, a long time ago that like they put that on there because they're like i think it was dan like we put it on there because we wanted kids to check this band out because you know everyone's yeah. heard seven seconds everyone's covered seven seconds and minor threat but like not enough people had heard who Skr do and i hadn't i hadn't really thought of that you know right i still think it's true today to be very honest um but i also i mean this isn't like there's a part of me that wants to say this is a lost art form is the idea like bands in this world of punk, hardcore, et cetera, did cover songs both as a way to pay tribute and say, Hey, we love this song. Let's play it. There's also an element of, Hey, if people know this song, but don't know us, they'll enjoy it. Or maybe it'll encourage them to check us out. But then the reverse of, Hey, people who like us will check out this and check out this band. And it's this weird kind of like, for lack of a better term, oral history 
kind of oral tradition, I should say, of passing down music through this this means. And the way and how eloquently Lifetime did it should be an example. And bands who do covers should look at this exactly and say, oh, that's how you do it, you know? Absolutely. For sure. Well said. Very Exactly. Very well said. All right. Next track, Irony is for Suckers. Matt, you want to kick us off? Yes. Uh, I feel like this song is sort of a template for like Jersey's best dancers, you know? Because it's it's Ooh. got like an actual chorus. Um, I love how it says like let's just you know forget work and listen to the clash. Yeah, you know again with the references and stuff. It's um, you know it's kind of pointing like where they're at. I don't know. It's just kind of a. It's like a little peek into their world, and they're you know it's not like let's go home and listen to mouthpiece. You know it's. <laughs> you know it's kind of saying like i mean the clashy you know it's like almost i think me and my friends into hardcore didn't even really think of that much of a punk band at this point in my life we kind of thought of them as like a rock and roll band you know um so them saying like let's go home and listen to the clash it, it, it just you know it's like a, a like a good statement but um it's funny how it can that. inform you and inform yeah. you like you said them as people what they were doing and then also to like oh wait the clash you, you listen to that band maybe i should listen to that band huh yeah yeah i and i didn't fi- i didn't finish my crap my clash trajectory because i got so into american hardcore which was more what i was looking for you know at that time at like 12 13 you know i wanted to hear way more group sex and i wanted to hear you know the their their, their reggae songs or something so yeah way more than london calling sure yeah and then at this point in my life my after this is when I get into London calling, um, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, y- you know, they, they kind of probably put a little something in my head that, uh, you know, no, the clash is cool. Like go back to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this track for me, um, I like what you said about it kind of hinting at, uh, Jersey's best answers. That's a good point. Um, yeah. I don't have too much to add. I mean, I like the track. It's not, it's not one of, the ones that really sticks out for me though on this. I, I, I mean, you said it exactly. I don't think I would have got there. Never. Go, I, I said that I never go to this song, but I love the flow. And that makes me think like, Oh yeah. Like it's a simple melody and it's unique to this song, but um, that is Jersey's best answers. You're right. Yeah. So. yeah. Next track. What she said. Um, short track here, a minute and four seconds. Um, I feel like it's really hard to fit all that they fit into in a minute here. Um, I really, really like this track. It's kind of another Ari pity party, um, but I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I I also think this one is a little bit like has something in its musical DNA, not the lyrics and not his melodies, because that's very different on this record. But I think the, the music of it has something in its DNA. It's similar to backgrounds. But again, it's like faster. The vocal style is so different, and it, it almost seems like they like took a fragment of a song that they were working on back then, and just made it into this really cool, compact moment. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I think this, along with um, kind of the anchor Bobby Truck Tricks. This song I don't like as much as I like 
Bobby Truck Tricks for sure, but I think it's important for the sound of the record. It's dark and weird, and this is the part I put, was that it's like broody, but not brooding, which is where yeah. I think we hit with the Ari Pity party. Yeah. Is that it's broody, he's kind of like admiring, but it's not brooding. It's not full-on invested in that kind of miasma. Like He's like, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think he's really strong on this song. I think he's like vocally sounds great. And again, I, I think the fact that this song is one minute long, basically, you know, because the other four seconds, there's that, that, um, you know, the sample oh, the at clip. the end. Right, right, right. The clip talking. Yeah. And what I think it, it just shows like how musically on point they were on this record that like any other band in any genre of music would have made this song ob- obnoxiously long, you know, uh, it's almost because you guys said it's brooding, uh, broody, but not brooding or something, you know? Yeah, that's um, what I said. <laughs> Some weird confusing horse shit, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 but you're right. And I think when people have music like that, it becomes the longest song on the record. And here you have it as one of the shortest songs. And and instead of being overly indulgent and nasal gazing, it actually becomes like, you know, you, you can take it a little more seriously because it doesn't, it doesn't outstay its welcome, you know? Right. And not a lot of people have made those kind of statements in music. No, I, I, that, that, that kind of efficiency, um, brevity, and still be able to complete melodies. In yeah. Pressure, oh, it's, it's the coolest. It's one of the, if you want, if punk was to have informed music at large to something cool, it's the idea of brevity and being able to do this melodic completion <laughs> as like an art form is, is yeah. really like impressive. hundred yeah. percent. It's it's like they were making like almost like an indie rock song. And then they did an indie rock song with the way they would do a punk song. And that's, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Next track, knives, bats, new tats. Who wants to kick it off? I mean, I, again, with me, like, not only do I love this song, it's got some of my um, favorite lyrics by them. Uh, yeah. You know, when that star shoots across the sky, I want to grab it and smash it under my feet. I Who love that too. Wants to be happy. I mean, it's just you know that whole thing, and then that like the 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 kind of end section where it'd be kind of the, the melodic mosh part, the bouncy mosh part at the end. You know, you know, if I made up the rules, you would be Ooh. not so not so close to me. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. It's some of my favorite lyrics on the record. It's, it's one of my top three or five songs on the record. Yeah. The star <laughs> shoots across the skyline is definitely up there for me, for me too. Yeah. <clears throat> I love it. Yeah. I really like the song. Uh, I think <clears throat> it has some similar guitar stuff going on from what she said too. And it kept things on the darker side. And uh, again, this is kind of for the tone of the record important. And yeah, lyrically, it's awesome. It's great. It's it, uh, Ari hit some real strides here, and this is one of the highlights of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the title, too, Knives, Bats, New Tats, it's sort of like, uh, it became like a template for the bands after them, like Saves the Day, Rocks, Tonic, Juice, Magic. It's like oh. some nonsense words. Like, I feel like I might have actually found out what it meant from one of them, but it was so long ago that... Um, you know, because the the thing, the knives, bats, news, tats, it just it has some kind of the uh, tough imagery, you know. Sure. 
And, uh, and that song title in general, made to me, it just made me – I always think of New Brunswick when I think of this song. I think of what I imagine them and their lives like living at whatever New Brunswick houses they lived in. I think some of them might have lived at 67 Hanger Street at one point. And, uh, you know, and I was already going to shows in that basement, you know, since I was like in eighth grade. So uh, I don't know. There's something about the imagery of it that just always made me think of New Brunswick. So that's, uh, that's a little special thing for this song for me. Nice. All right, guys. Last track, ostrich sized. (laughs) So this is the only one that I was even, eh. I said, it feels a bit meandering at the start, but then I I was like, you know, was this song built around the choruses and then that hit that big kind of vocal lead bridge kind of break towards the Mm -hmm. end. And I was like, all right, I'm in, I'm in, but it, it, it's only, it's really, it's one of those things where, it's the closer, so I feel like it was leading to that. But I love the two songs before this, and I just like the way they felt. And it's it kind of brings me to the thought that it's hard to end a record like this. Yeah. And I think uh, this song does a totally serviceable job. But, like, this record's built on this idea of brevity, and it's got a whole vibe. And there's no epic salute to say thank you, good night. but this song does a good job. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I I feel like it's a. I I always really liked this song, and I felt like it was like I don't know that this song could have really landed at any other point on the record. I feel like it is like a great no. closer, and I I I think of the end as not being epic necessarily, but it's it's they it's definitely like a, ending, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a bigger outro than you know any of the other songs. Um, a mini epic, if you will. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really like, this is another one. I mean, the lyrics I like a lot. Um, you know, we're not normal and screwed up and mixed up. All of us don't know where to begin doing for ourselves. Um, I made a note, though, because I hadn't read the lyrics to this in a long time. At one point, he says, you're not alone, but with me you are. And I was like, why is he talking like Yoda? You know, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? But, uh, yeah, I, I love it, that line. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's a great track. I think it's a good, a good outro. Yeah. I, I mean, full disclosure, this at the time, this was my favorite song on the record. Um, I used to yell for this every show when this record was, was a new record. Um, because I, I, you know, like the whole, everything about it. And even on the record where it's got the, um, the, the sample from, um, you know, the outsiders, you know, can you see the sunset from the South side? Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved the outsiders when I was in middle school. So like the book, you know, um, so just having that in there and then having it in the lyrics, um, I loved it, you know? And, um, I think of all the kind of emotional kind of boy girl songs on the record. Like to me, this was it. Like I thought this was like the perfect closer. I thought, you know, um, and I'll be honest, I totally forgot that it was called ostrich sized. I <laughs> always, I think I saw it and I was just like, nah, you know, I, I get it. It's a cool little pun or whatever, but you know, uh, I've always called it ostracized, you know, and that's, Right. Even how I would yell for it at the shows. And, um, well, it's hard to yell ostrich sized. Yeah. 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 But I, I always thought of it as ostrich sized because I, I think that's kind of how 
I, I felt and, and as a person from, you know, the rest of sort of normal people society. And that's what this sort right. of lyric are sure. addressing. But, um, I can uh, now see that the pun of ostrich sized, you know, <laughs> it, it is a really, is a, like in keeping with the song titles and the kind of sense of humor that they have or their little in jokes, because I think ostracized would be too straightforward almost, you know, too, um, too on the nose. It's they're, yeah. they're, they're taking the gas out of themselves. You know, yeah. they're like, look, if you look at the lyrics, the lyrics of the song are a highlight on the record to me. Um, Absolutely. But I think if you look at the lyrics and you think about the way the song is, they go, all right, let's, let's take a piss out of this ourselves on this because we're a, a hardcore band. So let's, we know we're <laughs> serious. We know this is a serious song, the lyric, da, 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 and it's a, or, you know, the, the quote unquote big closer, quote unquote. But like, let's not, let, let's be able to laugh at ourselves too, which is, which is a good reminder to everyone. Yeah. I, um, I watched the the video of them playing CBGBs in uh, June. It was Father's Day, nineteen ninety six, and I remember yelling for ostracized at the show um, when they like ended their set. And I watched it, and you can hear me yelling it again and again, like at top of my lungs. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's in the last few minutes of the of the show, and I remember. I'm yelling it, and then other people started yelling it too. Because I mean, it was a you know a glaring omission from the proper 22 minute set that they played, you know, or 21 minute set or whatever. And um, I remember kids near me, and that day, like more than any other show, I like really had to hear it. And uh, I remember a kid near me uh, started yelling another song. It was like a friend of mine. I remember like elbowing him in the in the in the chest and be like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> people got on the ostracized bandwagon and they're yelling it too like like don't fuck this up for me you know <laughs> um but but yeah this was my my easily my favorite song on the record at the time up there with like rodeo clown and uh um i can't say it's still that it still doesn't mean that you know it might not still be the same to me as it was when i was a young teenager but um it's still uh i still think it's great and i think it's such an awesome closer yeah all right. I don't think we're going to top that. I love the image of you being like, shut the fuck up. I need this, man. Um, <laughs> I was also yelling, if you watch it, Bob, you can hear I'm yelling, ostrich fucking size. <laughs> uh, <laughs> show how much I need them to do it. Yo, uh, shout out to Lifetime. Shout out to Hello Bastards. Uh, anyone within the sound of our voices should please check this record out. Um, Pete, you can catch It Came From New Jersey at... It came from NJ Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also email us at it came from NJPod at gmail.com. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. I think I think we need to have you back on. Um, I would love it. Both for records we're gonna gush about, like this one, and then maybe that will some that we'll we'll try to pull apart a little more. But this was a great time. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, I'm so Matt. glad to be here. Pete, Bob, it was great talking to both of you, and I'm glad the black cat was such an important um, formative thing for you both because uh, that was a really cool special store. And just to know that like Ari from Lifetime owned it, I mean, I don't know, it was a cool little cool little memory of New Jersey punk that can't be replicated. Absolutely. No doubt. All right, guys. All right. Later, everybody. Later. Later.